Good morning, everyone. What a great blessing to be able to come together and worship and to uh, see all of you here. We're thankful that you are present. You know that I don't normally do commercials before I begin the sermon, but I'm going to do a brief one this morning. Uh, last Sunday, I was challenging everyone throughout this year to be sure that you either speak about Jesus or invite someone to worship with you every week. Make that, a, make that a goal, make that a point. And so now we have these little cards uh, that you can use for that purpose. And it's got the name of the church, address, all that, times of the services. It's, I got a QR code on the back of it. People tell me you can find out things with that. Uh, I don't know anything about that, but it's also got a blank space where you could write a note, write your name, something of that nature. But let me encourage you to pick up some of these. They're on the table in the foyer, uh, table in the center as you leave. Keep them with you uh, so that you'll have one when you need it. If you go out to eat, leave one on the table. Uh, if you meet somebody new during the week, offer them one. Uh, if you have new folks moving into your neighborhood, go over and see them and give them one of these and invite them to come and worship with us at Glen Allen. So uh, let me encourage you to make use of those uh, throughout the, the, the year. If we run out back there, we will certainly uh, get more. But uh, we want to do all that we can to invite as many people as we can to come here and be with us uh, each Lord's Day. Some of you will remember the name Joe Theismann. Uh, for 12 years, Theismann was the record-setting quarterback of the Washington Redskins, well-known for his passing uh, accuracy in particular. And uh, Theismann had a, a great career by, in all respects, uh, and he took the team to two Super Bowls, one of which they won and one of which they lost. And uh, later, uh, after his career was ended in 85 by a terrible injury uh, to his leg, Later, he was reflecting on his career with the Redskins, and he said, I realized that toward the end, I was getting sloppy. And he said, I should have known when it didn't matter to me whether I hit Art Monk on the eight or the one of his jersey that it was time to go. He realized that he wasn't doing his best. He realized that he had given up trying to be the very best that he possibly could be. That was the problem. He had stopped striving for excellence and settled for less than his best. Last Sunday, I talked to you about Tom Rainer's book, uh, Surprising Insights from the Unchurched. And you remember that in that book, uh, Rainer highlighted churches that he describes as effective churches, effective at leading people to Christ, effective at contacting people who are in the world and drawing them into church and drawing them to the foot of the cross. And he contrasted that with what he called comparison churches. And he said that the last thing we want to be is a comparison church. We want to be an effective church. And so out of that study, that survey that Rainer did, he listed five purposes, or five, uh, excuse me, five characteristics of effective churches. And we talked about four of those last week. Characteristic number one was a clarity of purpose. Effective churches know who they are and they know what they are about. They know that the great commission that Jesus gave uh, is the focal point of all that they are and all that they do. Characteristic number two, 
uh, was an emphasis on doctrine. Unlike what the church growth experts had been telling us for years, Rainer found that people who had formerly been out in the world but now had come to follow Christ wanted to know what churches believed and wanted to know what they taught. And so he said effective churches have an emphasis on doctrine and they're very clear about it. Characteristic number three, when new people come, effective churches welcome them. They embrace them. They let them know how happy they are that they're there. They do everything they can to incorporate them into the life of the church. And then characteristic number four was that effective churches have high expectations for their members. They have high expectations of one another, and they strive to meet those expectations. So this morning, I want to talk to you about characteristic number five. That is the passion for excellence, not just an interest in excellence, not just a desire for excellence, but a passion for excellence, a passion to do and be the very best at everything that we do. If we want to be an effective church, and I believe that we do, then that's a passion we need to develop. That's an area in which I think we're lacking and something that we need to step up and start trying in every way to achieve excellence in all that we do. Now, here's the question. Why is excellence important? It is important, first of all, because it's biblical. It's a biblical concept. You can look in a concordance and you probably won't find the word excellence, or at least not very often, but you'll find the idea. You heard the reading just a moment ago from Romans chapter 12 where Paul starts off the what's called the practical section of the letter to the Romans by saying, I appeal to you, therefore, by the mercies of God, on the basis of what God has done for you, present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God, which is your spiritual worship. Present your bodies as a living sacrifice. Everything that we do is devoted to God. He goes ahead and explains in verse 6 about the use of gifts. And he says we all have them. Since we have those gifts, he says let us use them. If prophecy in proportion to our faith, uh, in teaching, uh, the one who teaches to use that gift of teaching, in service, in serving, in exhorting, in exhorting, in giving with generosity, in leading, and with acts of mercy. But notice he says... Uh, the one who leads with zeal, with zeal. That word zeal is translated from a word spude. That means something about haste. It has to do with, uh, with haste, with desiring to move forward. It has to do with earnestness. It has to do with speed and determination. In other words, he says, if you're leading the church, go for it. And actually, he's saying, whatever you do in the church, go for it. Because down in verse 11, he says, do not, speaking to the whole church, do not be slothful in zeal. Do not be slothful in zeal, but fervent in spirit. That word fervent literally means boiling. Don't be slothful in zeal. Be boiling in your spirit, in your desire to serve God and in the way that you do it. Serve the Lord, he says. Uh, whether it's giving, do it with cheerfulness, whatever it is that you're doing, he says. Be fervent about it. That's what excellence is all about. 
In Colossians 3, verses 16 and 17, Paul said, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, notice that, whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Whatever you do, whether you're doing it here at church or you're doing it at home or you're doing it at work, whatever you do, do it in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Do you know what that tells us? That tells us that you and I do not have the right to be half-hearted in our service to God. We don't have that right. There is not room for that in the Christian life. There is not room for half-hearted service. We are to do and offer our best at all times, not anything less. We're to be like Israel, who when they were called to their, their giving, were to give the first fruits and the first fruits meant not only first in time, the first of the crop, but also the best. Also the best. That's what we give to God. So excellence is something that ought to be a goal for us always because it is a biblical concept. Reason number two why excellence is important is because it honors God. It honors God. And nothing less than excellence does honor God. In Romans 12 and 1 Peter 4, you have passages having to do with the use of our gifts. And I think that's an interesting thing that we need to pursue uh, further. But in 1 Peter 4, 10 and 11, Peter says this, as each has received a gift. Notice he didn't say if you have. He says each of us has received a gift. You may not know what yours is yet. You may be seeking that. God will help you find it. But as each has received a gift, he says, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Whoever speaks as one who speaks oracles of God, whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to him belong glory and honor and dominion forever. And ever. Did you notice how many times he said God? Did you notice how many times he said God in talking about the use of our gifts? He said, we are good stewards of God's very grace. And as each has received a gift that we are to use them, if you speak, speak as the oracles of God. If you serve, serve in the strength that God supplies. Why? So that everything will be done to the honor and the glory of God. Of God, everything that we do is supposed to bring glory to our Father in heaven. Our goal, our purpose as a church, our goal, our purpose as individual followers of Christ is to bring honor and glory to God, nothing less. Jesus said it in John chapter 15, verses 7 and 8. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you will, and it will be done for you. By this is my Father glorified that you bear much fruit. How is God glorified? By individual Christians who bear fruit. How is God glorified? By churches who bear fruit. What does bearing fruit mean? It probably means a lot of things. It could be bearing the fruit of righteousness and all the, the fruit of the Spirit that Paul talks about in Galatians 5, but 
Surely, surely it means bearing fruit in the fulfilling of Jesus' orders, the Great Commission of going and making disciples of all the nations. We cannot be bearing fruit for God, to God's honor and glory, if we're not doing that. We want to be excellent because excellence brings honor and glory to God. We want to be excellent because excellence builds up the church. Let me tell you something. It's not easy to build up a church. It really isn't. It's easy to tear one down. It's easy to tear one down. Not easy to build one up. It takes the efforts of everybody to build up a church. Sometimes only one can tear it down. But when we strive for excellence, we are building up the church. Let me give you an example. We talked about this last week, that the, the church in Corinth had all kinds of spiritual gifts. Miraculous some of those gifts were. They had all those gifts, but they were being used in, a, in an unhealthy way. They were being used competitively. They were being used to show off. They were being used to, to kind of call attention to the individual rather than to the glory of God. And especially was that a problem with those who were gifted with being able to speak in tongues. You know, I've thought about that a lot of times. I thought, you know, that would be a cool gift, wouldn't it? And don't just suddenly be able to stand up in church and begin speaking Syrophoenician? I don't even know what Syrophoenician sounds like, but... Uh, you know, it would be cool to just be able to stand up and just all of a sudden have a miraculous ability to speak in language. That's what the gift of tongues was. And some of the folks uh, in the church in Corinth had that gift, and apparently they were gifted with speaking different languages and languages that nobody understood. And so Paul has to put a kind of put a damper on their use of that gift because they're using it in a way that wasn't, that wasn't intended for. They're using it as a way of calling attention to themselves in church instead of building up the church. And Paul says, strive for prophecy because prophecy builds up the church because people understand it. And he says in 1 Corinthians 14, 3, since you are eager for manifestations of the Spirit, strive to excel in building up the church. Give that your best effort. Give that your best effort. You have a role in building up this church. I have a role in building up this church. All of us have a role in building up this church. And we come near accomplishing that goal when we do so, striving for excellence. And then another reason excellence is important is because it makes a good impression on outsiders. Last week, we talked about the fact that when people first come to worship, they want to know what you believe. And that's why effective churches do emphasize doctrine. They don't hesitate to say we believe in Jesus Christ as God's son. We don't hesitate to say that we believe that he died on the cross and he was raised from the, from the dead for our sins. We don't hesitate to say that we believe he's coming again. We don't hesitate to pe preach what the apostles preached. That if you want to come to Christ, repent and be baptized, every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. We don't hesitate to say any of that. So when they come, they want to know what we believe, but there's something else they want to know. They want to know if we're serious about what we believe. I want to know if we're serious about it. You know, you can go into a lot of churches and their doctrine sounds okay. You can go into a lot of churches and, and what they say 
sounds pretty good. But if you observe carefully, you can tell that they're really not very serious about it. And when people first come into our midst, they want to know both. They want to know what do you believe and are you really serious about it? Are we serious about it? How do they, how do they tell that? They tell it by what we do and how we do it. What we do and how we do it. And don't get me wrong. The goal of excellence is not simply to impress people. The goal of excellence is to bring glory to God. But if we are doing what we do with excellence and bringing glory to God, that will impress people favorably. It's what Paul in Titus 2 and verse 10 called adorning the doctrine. Adorning the doctrine. What does that mean? You know, I can't make the doctrine any better. I can't improve on that. It doesn't need improving on. None of us can do that. We shouldn't even be trying to do that. But I, we can adorn it by the lives that we live. We can adorn it in the way that we say what we believe. We can adorn it in the way that we live out the faith that we claim to have. That is adorning the doctrine. Living excellent, excellently is adorning the doctrine. And so it's not about impressing people. It's about glorifying God. That's what Jesus said in Matthew 5 and verse 16. Let your light so shine before men that they may see what? Your good works, but glorify your Father who is in heaven. When we do what we do with excellence, God is glorified and others can see it. And they will be favorably impressed. Now, I want to talk to you practically about some ways we need to strive for excellence in the church. Some of the things I'm going to mention we do well, some of them we don't. And we need to be frank about that. We need to be honest about it. We need to, we need to try to do better in, in some areas. One way in which we need to strive for excellence is in the area of worship. Our worship always needs to be well-planned and intentional. What do I mean by intentional? It means we have a reason for what we do. We've got it planned uh, for what we want to accomplish in glorifying God and praising God. It's never haphazard. It's not just something that, that uh, you know, we may have thought about it, we may have not, or all of a sudden at the last minute, let's do this. It, it shouldn't be that way. It needs to be intentional, and it needs to be well-planned. People who lead us in worship need to know what they're going to do ahead of time and do it the best that they possibly can. They should never be unprepared. No one should ever stand before the church unprepared. That is not leading with excellence. Whether you're leading a prayer or leading singing or serving scripture or preaching or giving the communion message or passing the Lord's Supper, whatever you're doing, you're doing it to the glory of God. So it needs to be done with excellence. But it's not just the way that worship is led. It's the way worship is participated in by the rest of us. We have our role to play too. There are three pairs of words in Scripture that describe worship as God would have it. Three pairs. First of all, uh, the Bible says that worship should be decent and in orderly. And, and in order. Decently and order, in order. I will get it right. Decently and in order. Is that it? That's it. Thank you. Decently and in order. All right? Secondly, to be in spirit and in truth. 
And third, it is to be with reverence and awe. Decently and in order, in spirit and in truth, and with reverence and awe. And it is not right until it's all three. It's not biblical worship. It's not acceptable worship until it is all three. So we want to be sure every time we worship, individually, personally, that we're doing it in a decent and orderly way, that we're doing it with reverence and awe, that we're doing it in spirit and in truth. But folks, it's just not always that way. It's just not always that way. I have to tell you, you remember that for a few Sundays back in the end of the summer, early fall, I wasn't able to preach, and so I was sitting and, and listening, taking part, worshiping, observing. And I got to tell you, sometimes it was hard to do. Not just because I wasn't preaching, but because there was so much commotion and motion as it was going on. It, it was amazing how many people got up and moved around all during the service. It was just amazing. And, and I found myself wondering if I, if I had come here for the first time looking for Christ, would I have felt that I had come to the right place? If I had come here the first time, thank you, seeking God, would I have found him? Would I have been able to find him? Would I have ever, would I have ever thought I'm in the right place to find him? Do the people who are here, are they serious about him? Because they don't seem to be paying a lot of attention. There, there were times that there were multiple people coming and going all at the same time. And sometimes it was more than one person uh, getting up uh, at the same time. And then sometimes the same person getting up more than one time during the service, just in and out, in and out, in and out. There's something wrong with that, folks. I know sometimes you've got to get out and take your children. I know that sometimes you've got to get up and go for personal reasons. No problem with that. But I cannot believe that all that roaming around is necessary. Nor do I believe that it is decent and orderly. Nor do I believe that it is in spirit and in truth. Nor do I believe that it causes us to exalt God. We have to do better than that. Because somebody sitting behind you, maybe that person who has come looking for God. And so whatever you do during that worship assembly, whatever you decide to do, before you make a move, ask yourself, what effect am I having on the people around me? You know, the Bible teaches us that. When we sing, what are we supposed to be doing? Speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. This is a corporate thing. This is not just me and God. I'm not just here for what I can get out of it. I'm here for what I can put into it. And I'm here for what I can give to other people. And we are not being considered of other people when we're up roaming around. We just have to face the fact that that's not okay. It never has been. It never will be. We've got to do better than that. Same thing is true when we offer the invitation to come and follow Christ. I think sometimes folks think that that's a signal to run for the door because there are more people going that way than any other direction. 
And sometimes it is literally the case that if a person wanted to come from the back of the room to the front to say, I want to accept Christ today, they wouldn't be able to get through you. They wouldn't be able to get through because of the crowd going the other direction. We have to do better than that about our worship. Excellence in worship. We need excellence in our Bible classes. And we're working at this all the time. And we do have good classes. There's no question about that. We need to do the best that we can every single time. You know what brings a lot of people to church for the first time in their lives? It's their children. It's their children. I've talked to so many people through the years who have gone for years and years and not ever gone to church, but then they become parents. And suddenly it dawns on them, I've got this child to raise or these children to raise. I, I need help. I need God's help. And they, that's the first time they start thinking about God, and so they'll, they'll bring them to church. And the only way that they're going to be willing to come and take part uh, in what we have to offer is if they think that what we're offering is quality. If they see that we have the very best equipment and facilities that we can provide, if they can see that our teachers are prepared every time, they know that we're not ever winging it. And I'm thinking about myself here as much as anybody else. That's a temptation we all face. So many other things going on during the week. Well, I'm preparing for that Bible class. At, you know, maybe on Saturday night. It can't be that way. We have to do the very best that we can. Our teachers have to be in our rooms before the students are there, starting on time, ending on time, and an excellent class every time. We've got to be excellent in our friendliness. And I'm happy to say I think we are. But as I say that, I'm hesitant because Tom Rader in his book says all churches think they're friendly. When in reality, they're friendly to each other. But not necessarily friendly to those coming in from outside. But I think that we are. I really do. A few weeks ago, we had a visitor who had never been here before. came in the back door and I spoke to him. He'd already been through the, the greeters. And we have our, our wonderful greeting ministry. And thank you to those of you who do that. He'd already been welcomed by the greeters, and he came in, and I met him and told him we were glad he was here. And he said, you know, I am so thankful and so happy to be greeted when I come into church because he said, I've been to churches so many times where you walk in the door and nobody ever even speaks to you. And I said, yeah, I know I've had the same experience, and that's one reason that we're really, we're really uh, high on that here is because that's a, that's a terrible feeling. It's a terrible, terrible, empty feeling. And again, suppose it's that person who's come looking for God. This man was already a Christian, but what if he hadn't been? And what if somebody who's looking for God comes into a church and they're not welcomed, and they decide these people don't care whether I'm here or not, and they just leave? And that may be the last time they ever look. We have to be excellent in our friendliness, and I'm so thankful that we are. But let me encourage you. You don't have to just be an assigned greeter to be a greeter. Every time we're dismissed from our worship assemblies, look around you, not just for each other, but look for new faces. And when you see them, just go over and tell them, I want to meet you, introduce yourself. I want you to know I'm glad you're here, thankful that you're here. hope you'll come and be with us again. Anyway, anything I can do to help you and just, just anything to let them know that we're delighted that they're here. We need to do that. We've got to be excellent in our friendliness. We've also got to be excellent in our facilities, and we're always working with that, at that as well. We want them to be clean. They've got to be repaired. They've got to be functional. They've got to be attractive. 
And we all need to help do that. That's a task, a responsibility for all of us to care about that, to care about and take care of what God has given us. So those are some ways that we need to be excellent. Well, let me tell you before I close here what excellence is not, because I don't want you to get the wrong idea. Excellence is not, first of all, extravagance. Excellence is not extravagance. We don't have to go overboard, but at the same time, we don't have to go cheap either. I met a lot of folks in the church who seem to think the 13th commandment is thou shalt not be cheap. Or thou shalt be cheap, excuse me. Thou shalt be cheap. That everything we do, we got to do cheap. And do the least we can. No, uh, that's just false. That's not a biblical concept at all. The biblical concept is do your best for God. If you can do that uh, more cheaply than some other way, fine. If you can't, do what you need to do. Do what you need to do. You've got a little insert in your bulletin there about our new coffee ministry that's beginning tomorrow morning, and please pray for that. Please pray for those of us who will be out there. It's going to be, what, 20? Uh, but we're, we're so, so optimistic. This has been in the planning and the works for months. We're so thankful about that. And, and, and in preparation for that, we, we have purchased a, a coffee brewer that I think will also drive you to work if you know how to operate it. I mean, this thing is amazing. And I'm pretty sure that if you punch the right buttons, it, it not only will make the coffee, it'll drink it for you, you know, <laughs> and tell you how good it was. Uh, you you got to stop over there and see it if you haven't seen it yet. Uh, it it's amazing. You know, we, we could have gotten by with a bunch of little plug-in pots. You know, we could have tried to do that, but we didn't want to do that. We want to do the best that we can. And that, that's why that we purchased that, uh, that brewer. We could have gone cheaper, but we didn't want to go cheaper. We wanted to do the best that we can. But excellence is not extravagance. Excellence is not going overboard, but excellence is doing our best. Excellence also is not arrogance. It's not about calling attention to us. It's, it's call, not about uh, making people think about who we are and what we are, but to show our love for God and our respect for our calling as his people. Excellence is not about perfectionism. We're all human. We're all going to mess up. We all do. We all do it frequently. It's a problem, but it shouldn't become a habit. We want to do the best that we can, but not perfectionism. That's not what we're talking about. We're not talking about throwing a penalty flag every time we think somebody's done something wrong. We want to do the best that we can but we're not striving to be perfect. We know we're not going to be that. And also, excellence is not accidental. It's never accidental. In a book called The Pursuit of Excellence, Ted Engstrom quotes John Gardner, who says, Some people have greatness thrust upon them. Very few have excellence thrust upon them. They achieve it. They do not achieve it unwittingly or by doing what comes naturally, and they don't stumble into it in the course of amusing themselves. It comes through excellence. It comes through discipline and through tenacity of purpose. That's how you achieve excellence. It never is accidental. So this is a word that I hope that we'll keep before us all year and not only just this year, but always, the word excellence. And if we can't do something with excellence, let's don't do it. 
Because if it's worth doing well, it's worth doing the best that we have, the best that we can. One final reason why excellence is important and necessary. When God sent his son to be our savior, he gave his very best for us. When Jesus laid down his life to redeem us from sin, he gave everything he had. How can we do any less? When Bob Russell was a minister at Southeast Christian Church in Louisville, they had a slogan, and here it is. If it bears his name, it's worth our best. If it bears his name, it's worth our best. Let's do the best we can. Let's be the best we can possibly be to the honor and glory of God and in gratitude for what Jesus has done for us so that we can be that effective body of Christians that God has called us to be. He's given it all for you. Have you yet given him your life? Have you yet turned to him in faith and repented of your sins and been baptized into him? so that you can walk with him in newness of life. If you haven't done that, that's the first step. We hope you'll take it this morning. Let's stand together and sing.